2: 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Agent
0: Hopkins, left circle, wrist shot, score. Net trick, right.
1: Puget Hopkins. the Ajay, who's up across the 40. He swings it to the 45, the 50.
0: Down the sidelines, he goes. The Ajay, he's got all sorts of daylight
2: inside the 10. Touchdown, Eskimos! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30, Chad.
0: has scored 20 or more goals every season he has played in the NHL except last year when he got only 7 as the member as a member of the Calgary Flames. He now of course is
3: an Edmonton Oiler. He is James Neal hoping to bring his scoring touch to Rogers' place, I keep saying belief, but you know you gotta have that winning attitude every day. You come in the rink and, and and know you're gonna win, no matter what the score is, no matter how you're playing. Uh, whether you're having a tough night, know that uh, one opportunity, one chance can change it, and and you're gonna win the game. So, uh, you know, being a part of those teams and and building those cultures and being an older guy and uh, building that uh, that winning attitude is uh, is the way uh, that we're gonna work here. and uh, you know, I know Tip brings that attitude, and um, you know Kenny Holland uh, is one of the best. So uh, he, he's won a lot, and um, you know he'll bring uh, he'll bring that. So I think we're uh, uh, you know we're going to surprise people. We're going to have uh, we're going to have a great year, and um, you know with Smitty coming over uh, from Calgary, that's a, a a key guy and uh, who brings a lot of leadership to this uh, this room and a uh, competitive guy who who really wants to win. So um, we're uh, we're excited. I, I love the the makeup of this team. James Neal skating
0: as part of the Oilers' informal skates this week. Of course, rookie camp will start tomorrow. We'll have more on that for you tomorrow night on Inside Sports. James Neal, I'm hoping to regain that touch. Like I said, only seven goals last year with Calgary traded to Edmonton for Milan Lucic in the summer. By the way, Lucic with some interesting comments today. We'll get to that as we roll along tonight. Now, the Oilers did not have an effective second line last season. It was often Ryan Nugent Hopkins with a couple of wingers better suited to Play on a fourth line in the NHL. So, is he going to jump in there with the Nuge? Is he maybe going to be
3: up with McDavid and Drysight? Yeah, you know, of course I want to be in the top six. I think, you know, I've proven that I can, you know, play in that role and, uh, you know, I can put the puck in the net. So um you know i've scored uh, 20 plus goals 10 plus seasons so um you know i know uh, i know i can score um for us i think it's uh like i said getting that belief of winning back in this locker room in the city and um getting back in the playoffs so uh all you got to do is get in the playoffs it's it's a hard uh, hard task but uh we got the right players to do that and then once you're in you know anything can happen, and I think uh, you know we, we got two of the best players in the world, and um, you know game changers, and um, you know they're ready to go and they want to be in the playoffs. So um, lots of, lots of excitement here. So that will be my
0: question to you tonight. You can text six thirty six thirty. The phone number seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Where does James Neal go all off season? I've had him slotted in with nugent hopkins you put dry and mcdavid together you give cassian another chance to play on that line you put neil with nugent hopkins finally give Nugent a shooter to pass the puck to and then you got to get somebody else to step up uh, chase on somebody like that maybe to play on that line or do you load it up do you say we're going mcdavid dry and neil and you're telling other teams to try to deal with it and you hope Somebody steps up and plays with Nuge, maybe Chason, maybe Joakim Neegard, maybe Tyler Benson able to make the team out of camp and get a spot there. That will be my question to you as we begin to consider lineup combinations for your Edmonton Oilers. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630, Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. We will have the Eskimos next game on Saturday. They host... The Cal- uh, they host the Calgary Stampeders. 3.30 for the countdown to kick off. The game will start at 5. That same night, the Oilers rookies play the Flames rookies in Red Deer. I will be going down to cover that game and keep you updated. And then Tuesday, September 10th, We will have a live hockey broadcast from Calgary once again. Oilers, rookies, and Flames, rookies. It'll start at 7 after an abbreviated edition of Inside Sports. Uh, More chat on the Oilers between 6.30 and 7 with Rob Brown. We have a great hockey story coming up after the break. A kid from LeDuc. Well, he's not a kid anymore. He's a man. But uh, this gentleman from LeDuc. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. former U of A Golden Bear hockey player, now a shot at being an NHL linesman. You'll get to know Travis Toomey when we get back. Hi, this is Greg Ellingson of the Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Shed. Well, our next guest has gone from being a Golden Bear to being a Zebra. Please welcome to Inside Sports, Travis Toomey. Travis, how are you doing?
1: I'm really good. I hope you're doing well, and thanks for having me in today.
0: Well, it is it is great to see you, and, uh, and what a journey for you since uh, the last time I, I would have been talking about you and a team you were on regularly. That was... Uh, well, that was four years ago. You finished at the U of A in 2015.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, so it's been, uh, I guess, going on four years since I played. And uh, luckily for myself, we were able to finish off my last couple of years at the U of A with a couple of championships. So that was a nice way to wrap up my playing career. And um, you know, it's been a lot of fun over the last little bit here, being back in the game of hockey and uh, and obviously onto a new adventure. So,
0: so what was the transition for you? The the decision to to become an official was that on your mind when you were a player, or when did that really become a? a a, re- a reality for you.
1: Yeah, I don't think any player, if you ask them, would ever say that <laughs> I'm going to be an official one day. Right. Uh, you go through enough games where they're the uh, the enemy of sorts, and um, and that's the player's mindset. But uh, for me, I actually uh, was two years out of playing before I even considered it or even had the thought. And um, after I was graduated from the U of A, I took a job with Sir Dakini Power Skating and Hockey here in Edmonton. And uh, while working for Steve, we, uh, we were running a three-on-three league, as we do every spring, and I was just out there officiating it. And I was uh, doing my best Randy Mitten impression, getting down <laughs> on one knee to wash out the offsides. And a uh, co-worker of mine, Justin Taylor, uh, knew of a guy from his junior days, Chris Schlenker, who uh, played in Regina. It was from Medicine Hat and was now an NHL referee and said, hey, you know, like, you'd be really good at this. You got size, you can skate, and this guy did it. So that kind of planted the seed. Another coworker of mine, Christian Boulding, his father-in-law is pretty connected down in Calgary with with some of the NHL guys and kind of pointed me in the right direction. And I still sat on it for a number of weeks just kind of thinking, man, that'd be cool, but never actually considering it until I ran into... Uh, an acquaintance at a golf course and he said the same thing like man they're looking for guys who played the game and i think you'd have a good shot so that's when i contacted uh some of the more local guys who are higher up in officiating and and that was kind of the beginning of it
0: so i I just want to go back to something you said you know as a you said players would never really think about becoming an official because you know players kind of can get caught that mentality where that's another team you're playing against you're playing your opponent and sometimes you feel like you're playing the officials as well now as a player transitioning in, into wearing the stripes are you conscious of that like trying to break down that barrier or y- y- you want players to be in that mindset like hey I'm not anybody's side I- I'm 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 enforcing what I'm seeing happening that's that's my goal
1: yeah exactly and uh, I think that I experience that from a player side is something that I've used as an official to my advantage knowing what kind of emotions they have on the ice and and what they're feeling and as a as an official we are to be in an unbiased position to see the game and to make the calls and Uh, we're there to serve the game. And that's uh, basically what we're trying to do. Keep the integrity, keep the safety. And, uh, you know, there's, for every call you make, there's probably half the rink who doesn't like it and half the (laughs) rink who does. And uh, that's not for us to worry about. We just have to make sure, like I said, serve the game with integrity, with safety. And I do think that understanding the emotions, uh, especially in my position as a linesman, if I'm escorting a guy to the box and he's all fired up because he doesn't think it was uh, a penalty, I... I can be like, hey, you know, I understand what you mean, but your hands were high or your stick was out or, you know, just kind of those those things that would help a guy understand. I've been there before, so I like to think that it's been uh, a good little asset.
0: All right, well, you have been there before. You had four seasons in the WHL of 90 <laughs> penalty minutes or more and a surprisingly high penalty minute total for a youth sports player, <laughs> including 73 minutes in... Uh, in 18 regular season games with the Bears in 14-50 you had uh, other seasons where you were around 40 how did you do that in Canada West where you can't fight and they try to really the the mindset is you got to kind of try to limit the chippiness and all that kind of stuff yeah it's
1: impressive isn't it
0: it it is impressive
1: (laughs) Um, well in junior like you you were right I mean I wasn't a guy who shied away from the fisticuffs at all and I mean, even 10 to 12 years ago, when I was playing junior, there is there was a lot more fighting than there is in the game today, and so some of my penalty minutes there came from that. Uh, once I transitioned to the U of A, and and even still in junior, uh, I was no stranger to the front of the net. I grew up a Ryan Smith fan and, and modeled my game after him. And uh, when you hang out in front of the net, there's often uh, some stuff after the whistle that'll that'll come from digging for rebounds, maybe a bit longer than you probably should, and. I never never shied away from it, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, I, a lot of my penalty minutes were coincidental, so the team wasn't shorthanded for all 75 of those. Right. But, um, <laughs> no, I and especially with the Golden Bears, I mean, one of the coolest things about playing at the U of A is our ability to compete year in and year out for national championships and Canada West titles, as you know, and uh, and I definitely took a role there. I played mostly third, fourth line minutes, and uh, I mean, if I was on other teams in the Canada West, I probably could have played higher up in the lineup, but uh, I took that role, and uh, myself and Drew Nickel formed a pretty good pair of, of uh, power forwards down on the fourth line, and and we did what we needed to do, and sometimes that was uh, stir the pot, cause havoc for the other team, and, and act as a bit of a punisher, and I mean, we, we got rewarded, especially in playoffs and in nationals. We ended up uh, scoring some big goals for the team, and and I think part of that was because the the depth that we provided playing the style that we did.
0: Travis Toomey joining us on Inside Sports tonight, former Golden Bear forward who uh, has now, having his career as a linesman, blossom. So last year you did AHL primary, primarily?
1: Uh, not so much. I got my first taste of pro hockey in the AHL. I only worked okay. eight games, though. Okay. And... Uh, I guess uh, if we rewind it a little bit to the summer of 2018, um, that's when I went to the NHL Exposure Combine for officials. Okay. And uh, I got noticed there, and and that's where I got set up with the American Hockey League for, for kind of just uh, an intro slash taste slash I'm sure they were evaluating me during those games. So um, primarily I still worked Alberta Junior Hockey League, and it was also my first year in the WHL last season. So Okay.
0: So uh, d- do you have a schedule for this year? Do you have a schedule for the start of this season? What you know, Do you know when your first NHL game might be, or do you just know I'm going to get one at some point? Uh,
1: well, for regular season, I know that my contract is for 80 games. So it's okay, a full good. slate, and it's going to keep me busy, and it's a full-time gig. Um the number of NHL versus AHL I'm not sure I just know that the total is eventually going to add up to 80 okay. and uh, for the exhibition schedule I know my first six games are, are going to be NHL games and uh that's going to be a great way to get my feet wet and gain some experience again I'm guarantee there's going to be evaluation process and um I mean when when they feel I'm ready I'm sure they'll they'll slot me into some games in the big league and uh just really looking forward to that starting, and um, especially they're pretty nice. I know my first game is actually going to be here at home on uh, the 16th of September. So
0: Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll look forward to you then. And obviously, your family's in Leduc, and are you still... In Leduc?
1: Yeah, yeah. My yeah. grew up in Leduc and my parents still live there and uh, my brother and sister and my uh, my wife and I live just outside of Leduc now on her parents' farmland. Excellent. And so uh, it's nice that uh, I'm going to be on the road. I know my father-in-law is going to be able to take good care of everything and so I, I'll have to give him a huge thanks for all of that. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that we're going to have a... A pretty, a pretty large section, probably the uh, the largest section cheering for the officials in in <laughs> that's, league that's history.
0: there is going to be more applauding on offsides. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Than ever. So yeah. Than ever. So
1: so if that's uh, if you are at the game and you hear that, that's why.
0: The one thing I have said that I well blatantly don't like is the video review for mm-hmm. the offside challenge. As a linesman, you, you know, and obviously you've it, it's been in place, I guess, for a, a few seasons now, but. I mean, does that enter into your head at all that if if uh, if if you wave something off clean? Oh, I wonder if they're going to look at it later. Like, does that ever enter your mind? Or no, it doesn't.
1: And um, I mean, we're out there and we take such pride in our job, and and we're evaluated. And um, same thing as so many players, our biggest critics are ourselves, and we want to make the calls right. Uh, so, the fact that it's in place, I understand why. Um, you know, if there's something that's Five feet offside, and for whatever reason it goes missed, then yeah, we want to have the right call, obviously. But um, as far as having anything in your mind, no. And I would think that's a a, an answer across everybody who works the game. Uh, The pride in our job is to to get the call right, and we make our best judgment. It does happen fast, so from time to time, when you're dealing with a matter of inches, then I see how it uh, can go one way or the other. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's something that, as it happens, we're we're doing our absolute best to make the call the way that we feel is the right way to go. So
0: it's an interesting journey for you, as you've told, having having played in the dub Canada West high, high level of hockey. Um, the, the other path is, is sometimes young men or women might start officiating when they're 8, 12, 15 or whatever and, and just kind of kind of stick with it. But there's also a lot of attrition for officials because of the demands, the criticism, the abuse mm-hmm, sometimes. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone, uh, and again, your path is a little different, but what would you say to someone younger thinking about maybe being an official or, or knowing, man, I want to do it this year, but... Uh, I'm going into grade 10 and I got more schoolwork and uh, that parent yelled at me last year when I was like, What would you say to that person?
1: You know what? First of all, I, I owe everything for, from my development to those guys who came up as officials from the time they were 12, 13, 14 years old. And, uh, for myself going through this, I know I had a different background and I had different opportunities for, for many different reasons. I mean, um, from my skating ability and game knowledge, and and for for many different reasons, I know that I'm getting an opportunity that's very special, and I'm very lucky to be uh, to be in the position I am. And uh, it was those guys in in our area in Edmonton here, at the North Zone Officials Committee, um, and James Sharon especially, giving me my start in Laduke at at a pace that maybe I didn't uh, or at a pace that was higher than anything I could have expected going from Bantam to Midget to Junior B to Junior A in a matter of a month. So uh, those are the guys that helped me fast track my development and uh, I have the utmost respect for them and I know there's guys that, uh, that are still making it in that more traditional way which I think is, is fantastic and it's important for the game because they're guys who have crafted that uh, ability for years and years and uh, for the kids who are looking to start out I mean I think that it's such a great way to get on the ice and you can make a little bit of money, you can work on your skating when you're out there, you get such a a good understanding of the game and uh, it is unfortunate a little bit how much uh, they have to deal with at times especially when you see it's just uh, a kid who's not even 15 years old out there uh, so I hope my message to to those kids is realize that um, you're out there for the good of the game and if you're doing what you generally believe is right then you're going to have people there to support you and my message for for hockey families everywhere is to just remember that uh that these are just kids out there or young adults or whoever it may be i mean my first game that i did was a bantam triple a girls game and i was 27 years old with all this uh hockey experience and i was i was nervous and it's uh it's a weird position to be in so um i almost encourage anybody to go out and give it a try and and uh and reevaluate a bit but for anybody who wants to to start just get out there and enjoy it and um and use it as an opportunity to uh, to be a part of the game because I truly believe it's the greatest game on earth. It's given me so much in my life, and and I think that officiating is a really fun way to uh, to be involved. And that's kind of the only time you actually get to make money doing it.
0: So, well said, well Travis. Great story. Good for you. I'll be uh, paying more attention to uh, more uh, more attention to the little box showing you who the yep. linesman is in each in each nhl game this year for sure because of this all the best thanks for stopping yeah, in
1: thank you very much again for having me and uh hope the rest of the season goes well for you
0: that's travis toomey former u of a golden bear hockey player he'll be working the lines in the ahl and the nhl this season and he just said it, he's uh, gonna have a preseason game in edmonton in less than two weeks tennis andrescu leading martins 3-2 in the second set but pardon me mertens but mertens won- On the first set, 6-3, so the Canadian needs to win this set to stay alive. Rob Brown, when we get back.
3: This is Don Yunoma of the Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad.
0: So the Eskimos will be back at practice tomorrow. Back in game action on Saturday against Calgary. It's right here on 6.30, Chad. The game starts at 5. Our coverage, Dave Morley, Brendan Blake, will begin with the countdown to kickoff at 3.30 Saturday afternoon as the Eskimos try to snap a two-game losing streak. They're down to 6-5 and five on the season. Canadian Bianca Andrescu, quarterfinal action at the U.S. Open. Up 5 2 in the second set on Elise Mertens. Now, Mertens did win the first set 6 3, but uh, Andrescu looking good to take this to a third and decisive set. She is up 30 15 in this game. Mertens is serving, so Andrescu trying to break here to win the second set. If not, she will serve for the second set. So she's looking pretty good. That was great to have uh, Travis Toomey on the show in the last half hour. That is quite a story. Played for the U of A Golden Bears and uh, now going to be a linesman. As he said, he'll work 80 games this year Combined between the NHL and the AHL. He doesn't know his exact schedule yet. He will start off with six NHL preseason games and then go from there. Pretty good opportunity and a bit of a different path from him and it's come together pretty quickly for him. But, uh, you know, I I just know from... And and you don't get a lot of interviews necessarily with with referees and officials. Sometimes you get to talk to them. But I, I do think there's... An advantage if if you've played the game because you got to be able to keep up physically. If you're a ref or a linesman, you got to be able to skate pretty well. And you have to know the game. So I think if you're someone who who has played and and knows some of the intricacies of the game, and even for Toomey, having been a guy who fought in the Western Hockey League and and could mix it up as well when he played for the Golden Bears in Canada West and in U Sports, knowing some of those linesman-player interactions and maybe how to calm down or talk to a player, all that helps. So an excellent, excellent opportunity for him. And and I got to tell you, it's... On the occasions, I mean, we've had Mike Civic on the show a few times. Even earlier this summer, we had a couple of baseball umps in. I've always said it'd be it'd be great if current officials did a few more interviews. Maybe they shouldn't be available after every game. I asked Gary Bettman about that. I think it was a year about a year and a half ago, and he said our, our refs and linesmen don't have media training. They they don't all have the same first language, and if fans are angry, there's no answer that's going to satisfy them. I get that, but sometimes just talking to official, it it humanizes them. Because let's face it, as, as sports fans, we, we get emotional and you see a call that doesn't go your team's way and, and you feel bad about it and you feel like maybe that guy's out to get you. But the bottom line is, and we're going to bring in uh, Rob Brown, and Rob, you always make a great point, and, and I think you and I do not hesitate to point out calls that we think are blown. That's just the nature of talking about sports, but you always make a great point. If you watch a sporting event where you don't care about the outcome, a large, large majority of the time, you're going to think the officials did a good or great
2: job. Uh, absolutely, it's true. Though I mean, I do a lot of uh, coaching in Albert, and I'll go watch games where I don't have you know any any skin in. Where I just you know I'm there to enjoy and to watch and to help the coaching staff. But whether whatever team wins, it doesn't matter. The coach, the refereeing doesn't seem so lopsided you were to listen to the fans on either side both both sides think the fans the the referees are against them but when you're watching from a very neutral uh point of view you know it's like oh that one could have gone either way but oh that one there could have gone either way but it it seems like it it equals out so much more and the one thing fans got to realize too the referees in the national hockey league are by far the best referees you're going to find in the world so they will make mistakes um it, it it seems when the emotions are involved with fans, it seems like the mistakes are made at big times. But uh, I think that for the most part, the referees are doing an exceptional job. And until that one call goes against you, you don't notice them. And that's usually a good thing.
0: Uh, from your playing days, I don't know if we've ever talked about this in all the years we've worked together. Was there a ref or a linesman that was just really good at talking to players and either explaining a call or maybe calming down a situation that could get out of hand?
2: Um, there. Uh, Paul Stewart was very good. I, I had Paul Stewart and, and as a junior referee, and then I had him again as a pro, and he, he would talk to you and joke with you, and uh, he got to know the player. And I tell you, it's it, and this is what I. If I was telling any young referee coming up that to be human on the ice to to talk to the coaches during the game talk to the players because when you do it's much harder to get mad at somebody who was just nice to you It's much harder to scream at someone who just talked to you five minutes ago and not tell your family was doing and that's what Paul Stewart was very good at Carrie Fraser was another guy that uh, you could talk to and he would talk to you and he keep a dialogue going and you appreciated that and, and then when they made it and then the other thing that I respected as a referee and I or for referees to do and I would tell any referee to, that's coming up now is to admit your mistake because if you mistakes happen coaches make mistakes players make mistakes refs do if a ref comes over to you know what before you say anything I may have blown that call I you know what from what I saw this is what it seemed like but now that I look back I may have blown that call If you admit to that, then you no longer can get mad at that guy. What are you going to say? You screwed up. Well, you already admitted you screwed up. So now you're like, huh, okay. And that that diffuses the situation. It's when you have a referee that is adamant and and arrogant and is arguing back on something that everybody in the rink knows was wrong, that's where you get the frustration of players. That's where you get the frustration of coaches. So when you make a mistake or when you you may have made a mistake, come to the bench. Apologize. Say, you know what? I may have screwed that one up. You know what? I owe you. And you find that most coaches and most players will respect that. And all of a sudden, uh, it becomes a much easier game to referee because you've now got everything diffused and everyone is on the same level playing field saying, okay, let's move forward. That's passed. You admitted the mistake was made. And now you just worry about the hockey
0: game. Yeah, it, it's a very interesting relationship. And, and I've told you this, Rob, and I've, I've talked about it on air a few times. When I used to do the, the U of A basketball games, I used to do play-by-play for the, for the Bears and Pandas. I did six seasons, and we would often do it courtside. And the, the ref-coach relationship was really interesting to watch. Now, basketball is interesting, Rob, because like sometimes the coach will just walk out on the court during play to have a conversation, not yeah. far out, but take a couple steps out. And, and look, clearly there were times the referee has to issue a technical or be a stern warning, but there were times where it, I would see something escalate and it would be just as much on the ref as, as the coach because they would get combative right away. And I always found the best refs, especially the first couple conversations, I mean, they have to draw the line eventually, but the best refs in those situations would say, you know, whether it was Don Horwood or, uh, or Barnaby Craddock or whoever, they'd say, Don, I hear what you're saying. I can't see that when I'm watching the guy with the ball. So if there's holding away from the ball, thanks for telling me. I'll look for it. But you got to realize I'm watching the, the man guarding. They, 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 they tell you, I can't see all ten players on the court at the same time. And, and those are the refs that tend to, to calm it down and have better relationships with the coaches.
2: Well, and when you have better relationships, you have better games. I, again, that's just like the referee coming over saying, hey, you know what, I missed it. You, you may have said that. I missed it. My fault. That's on me. I'll do a better job. And as soon as you say that, as a coach or as a player, you can't be negative towards that guy anymore. You just admitted he was wrong. Because that's usually when you're yelling at a guy it's because he did something wrong. And what you're yelling at him for is you're yelling at him because you want him to admit it. As soon as if a ref comes over right away, to you, you know, I, I screwed up. It's done. There's nothing you can yell at. And if you yell at after that, then you deserve a penalty. <laughs> you deserve a bench because he just admitted he was wrong. So there were refs that were very good at him, but there were also refs that I've had in my career that were the exact opposite, that as soon as they stepped on the ice, they had an arrogance about them. And if you talked to them in a, in a conversation at home, they would all of a sudden lash out at you. Well, then that frustrates the player. And if you see a referee that both teams are mad at, well, then obviously that referee is doing something wrong. Because <laughs> there's got to be one team that should be happy. But I've, we, And we've done many games over the years with the others where both teams are furious with the referee. That means the referee has done something wrong, and that referee needs to be talked to. And I you're talking about whether a ref should be interviewed after a game. I, I agree. I don't think they need to be automatically, but I think that when there is a critical call, something that changes the complexion of a game, of a series, and we've seen that here in Edmonton, I think at some point it doesn't have to be right after the game because emotions are involved, but I think the next day the referee should be able to make a statement. Here is why I called what I called here is what I saw. And if he does that, then again, it humanizes it. And now you see what he saw. There's times we've seen things like, how could he not see it? Like, what is wrong with him? If the next day he says, you know what? I turned my body and I didn't have my eyes in the right spot. Or this player skated right in front of me at the, the exact time that that play happened. Well, now you're like, okay, well, now we know why he missed it. Or well, now we know why he called it. And I think that the NHL, I think we're in a world of, Social media, where people want instant gratification, they want information immediately. I think that's the way you have to go. I, I mean, we see. I've seen baseball where the umpire there was an umpire a couple of years ago, guy was pitching a perfect game. Last out of the game, they called him safe, and like he was
0: clearly Oh up. yeah, James Joyce and uh, Galarraga was the pitcher. I forget his first yeah, name. Yeah,
2: and uh, the umpire came out afterwards, talked to the media, and he was crying because he was so upset that he screwed up. And cost this guy a perfect game. Like, he was, it was hurtful. Like, I felt for the umpire after the game. But I thought, that is good on Major League Baseball, that they let this guy go out there and talk, and the guy admitted he screwed up. And then at that point, I mean, the pitcher, like, well, he, yeah, he admitted it. I mean, what can I do about it? A mistake was made, and everyone makes mistakes, and I think the honesty that you get from a referee or an umpire goes a long way towards appeasing fans or players or coaches who are upset with a call.
0: Just want to update the tennis here, Rob. Uh, Bianca does win the second set, 6-2. So now into the third set against Merton's U.S. Open quarterfinal. So third and decisive set. Winner goes on to the semi. It's been fun watching her this summer. Absolutely. Rob Brown, our uh, in-game analyst for Oilers broadcast on 630. Chad joining us. All right. James Neal, Rob. When he was acquired, first thing that popped into my mind, there's... A winger for Nuge, uh, but more and more discussion, and he's been skating with some of the guys with their informal skates. He just says he wants to play on the top six. Obviously, he's going to be in the top six. The there's need him there. I mean, is it an automatic? He's with Nuge, or did or do you load up and say, you know, sorry, Zach, you did well last year, but we got a guy who scored 20 or more 10 times, and, and you load up McDavid, uh, Drysital, and uh, and Neil. What are you thinking?
2: I, I don't think you could put him with McDavid and Dreisaitl I I just don't this is a team that's naked from the first line down Brian Nugent Hopkins who uh, had a career year last year deserves to play with somebody now uh, maybe we as the season goes on maybe you see Neil play McDavid and he drop Dreisaitl with Nugent Hopkins and that's something that you and I have talked about over the last year or two that maybe Connor McDavid is good enough that he can make other players better and maybe it's Nugent Hopkins and Drysdale that play together and try to find a little bit of chemistry. But I don't think you can put three on one line. I just, again, and the same thing goes back to that saying for the number of years, the others are not deep enough in the wing position that they can have three guys on their top line because they don't have the, the depth to have someone to play as Brian Nugent Hopkins. And you can't expect him to go out and night after night, play against other team's top players, which he does a lot of time because of, he's good defensively and expect him to get it done over and over again when he's got, you know, guys that are minor league players or or career third, fourth liners as his line mates. So I think the season will start off with McDavid and Drysdale, obviously, with the success they had last year. I think Neal will play with Nugent Hopkins, and the Oilers will hope that those two twosomes will find chemistry that they can plug holes on the other side uh, of the wingers with other players that can fill in there. But, yeah, I don't see... Neal playing with McDavid and Drysaitel to start the season. They need some depth. Too many teams in the in the Western Conference now are two, three lines deep. That if you don't give newton Hopkins someone to play with, the Oilers are again just one one line team.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's what worries me too. And I mean, look, as as we know, lines can change game to game, sometimes with Hitch uh, minute to minute. But <laughs> yeah, but, <it's, laughs> but no, but seriously. I, I'm sure he, he will play with McDavid at some point, but, but you're right. I, and we saw this last year, especially when we were watching the home games up top and you could see how the other bench was being managed and how players were reacting, who was on the ice. Teams just decided, all right, 45-second shift for McDavid, Dreisaitl, and whoever, we just defend. Like, it was almost like a team was on defense in football. We'll just, if we get a turnover, great. Other than that, we get a stop, make them punt. And then, we're, and then we can go with... Our, like they, Some teams, it was like they weren't even thinking offense with McDavid and dry Settle were on the ice. They just thought, survive this shift, and then we got the other 75% of the game to, to score ourselves.
2: Well, what we saw too many times last year that when the Oilers played, eh, like you said, there the team would hold their breath when McDavid was out there at Dreisaitl. And then when they went off the ice, they got to relax for four minutes. And then they had to hold their breath for, for 40 seconds. Then they got to relax. And when a team gets to relax... Uh, they get more rested, they get more confident, uh, and they feel good about themselves. The Oilers weren't able to sustain pressure last year throughout the entire season. They, they had one line that would, would do everything, and then the next three lines, the other team would gain momentum. And a lot of times you'd see McDavid and Dry still having to start in their own end or having to start by having to push back because the other team is now rolling towards them because the Oilers had no, nothing uh, consistent out of their second, third, and fourth lines. They have to be able to pressure a team with more than one line. Uh, Neil has got a bunch to prove this year. Uh, he's proven in the past that he is a very good player in this in this league, and he had an off year. And whenever good players have off years, there's uh, a strong, strong sense that they're going to have a, a bounce back. And I think that's what we're looking for out of Neal. He's going to get an opportunity to play. He's not with McDavid. He's playing with Newton Hopkins, who is a great passer coming off a career year. He's going to like that opportunity. He's going to relish it because he knows what he had in Calgary where he was uh, brandished to a, a, a third line and at times fourth and, and and a healthy scratch. So a great opportunity for him. He'll get power play time, whether it's the first unit or the second unit. So I expect him to be good, and I expect him to play with Nugent Hopkins at the start of the year.
0: Before I let you go, the Flames signing some players to PTOs today, Rob. Alexander Grenier, Zach Ronaldo, Devontae Smith-Pelly, and Toby Reeder going to the Flames on a on a PTO. I mean, smith pellys he's like been one of those tantalizing players who has never put it together for, for really the long haul, and Reeder obviously trying to bounce back from a goalless season with the Oilers.
2: Well, smith, Smith-Pelly can become uh, a, a role player for them. They lost the one kid. Didn't they to Vancouver? They lost a tough kid that used to play in their fourth line.
0: Oh yes, uh, his name's escaping me now, but yes.
2: Yeah, I can't remember his name, but he was a tough kid. So they have they have a, a role there that needs to be filled, and he's a guy that can fill it. Now, Reader again is I, I don't think when you look at him on a, another team's lineup, it doesn't bother you, it doesn't scare you. But a, a Smith Belly can can do do something. He can he can play a role. He can be physical. He's big. He's fast. I think for him, the expectations are much higher because of his draft pedigree and the abilities that he has he just is unable to put them all together to be what many expected him to be but i think he's a player that i expect that will make calgary this year and he'll be a you know a fourth line role player that tries to provide a little bit of energy
0: rob it is always a pleasure uh we're going to be spending a lot of time together
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes we will i'm looking starting for it's been a long long time you know the Oilers gotta. The Oilers gotta start making the play because our summer breaks are too long. So this, hopefully, this is the year they start taking a, a big step forward. They've uh, good coach, new GM, hopefully a healthy Connor McDavid. I'm looking forward to a fun year.
0: All right, we'll see you at the rink soon, buddy. Thanks for checking in tonight. Sounds good. Take care. That is Rob Brown, our Oilers Inside the Game analyst tonight on Inside Sports. Good stuff there about uh, interacting with uh, with officials and what Rob liked as a player and uh, discussing where James Neal might be uh, best fitting in to the Oilers lineup once the games start to count in the standings, which is less than a month away, by the way. First regular season game is October 2nd when the Oilers host the Vancouver Canucks. All right, Andreescu up one love in the third set against Mertens. We'll keep you updated. Inside Sports on 630 Chat.
2: Your home for all the news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630
0: Chat. Yeah, love rolling into the fall here. A lot to talk about. NFL starts tomorrow. CFL getting down to the nitty-gritty. NHL starting up. we got the U.S. Open tennis. On the old tube here, it is fun. Oh, and this is uh, a lot of fun here too. Our friends down the street at Global Television, they are once again going to put together a documentary on a game day experience at an Eskimos game as seen through the eyes of fans and some of the players' families as well. My buddy Kevin Karius worked really hard on this last season, and they're documenting their experiences on camera phones, and then you can send them to social media using either the hashtag OneEmpire or GN All In, so Global News All In, GN All In, one word. So they're doing it again this year. Uh, the feature game going to be, obviously, the game this Saturday against Calgary. It'll also incorporate some experiences from the game on Monday in Calgary. So any video or pictures you have of you and your family watching the game, uh, whether it be in person or on TV or, or, or through the Internet or anything showing your excitement for the Eskimos, Put them on social media. Again, the hashtags, you can use either 1Empire or GN All in. And uh, they did a great job with this last year. It was really cool. So uh, Kevin and company working on that. That is awesome stuff. You can always text 630-630, our phone number 780-496-0063, email insidesports at 630chad.com. Jared says, I would expect knee guard, on Ryan Nugent Hopkins' left wing unless Tyler Benson takes it and James Neal would be on the right side. Uh, James says uh, Rob made a good example mentioning Paul Stewart. Did he not play in the NHL at one point? And uh, yes, he did. And John says, Reed, all the high-profile players who come here are optimistic at first, then the, leechers, uh, then the leeches and vultures and life-sucking vampire fans and local media crush their spirit and ruin it. That is a text from John to 63630. 630. Uh, I don't know about that, John, but you did inspire my, uh, an inspired idea for a, a screenplay I'd like to write. Life-sucking vampire fans. That's That's got a cinematic experience written all over it. A little more from James Neal. We'll have Golden Bears quarterback Brad Lonhart on the show and Ryan Ford, light heavyweight boxer, back from a, Tough result in London, England. He's not happy about it. We'll have that story too.
2: Six thirty, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.